be seated. There in front of you, you'll find a pew Bible like this. If you'd turn with me in that to 1 John, 1 John chapter 5, you'll find that on page 1023, 1023, looking at 1 John chapter 5. First John chapter 5, listen to these first five verses. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commands. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Thanks be for God's word. Lord, we pray that you who wrote this holy and inerrant word would use it now in our lives. We praise you and thank you that you have not left us alone, but have given us your Holy Spirit and your word that we might read and see and know that you are truly as you have revealed yourself to be. We pray that with this knowledge you would transform our lives, that you would change us more and more to look to speak, to act like our older brother Jesus. In all these things, Lord, we cry out to you. Amen. What does it mean to be born of God? This text, these first five verses of 1 John 5, talk about being born of God and explain some very important things about what that means. And one of the things that you'll find is that all throughout the scripture it uses the terminology of being born of God, being born again that we saw, for instance, in John's gospel in the accord with Jesus and Nicodemus. You must be born again, Jesus said. Also, we'll find born of the Spirit is another way of what God is talking about in all having to do with this same thing. Uh, We call, in theological terms, regeneration. Being made new in God. What does that mean? If you'll turn in your order of worship, you'll find the notes for our time together this morning on this particular passage with these three particular headings. First, we are born again by faith in Christ. If we're going to unpack what it means to be born of God, to be born again, to be born of the Spirit, all of those those things have to do and result from our faith in Christ. Second, we find that we're born again for a purpose. We're born again specifically to love God and one another 
and to do what this passage talks about in terms of overcoming the world. And so we'll unpack what all that means. And then third, we see in this passage how Jesus kept the law, he kept all of God's commandments perfectly, specifically for those who are born of God, so that we might joyfully obey those very same commandments. So the first thing, as we look at this passage, this is God's holy word given to us through the Apostle John. These letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, were letters that John wrote to the, to the churches. And he had spent years not only caring for and shepherding the, the church there at Ephesus, but a little interesting fact from, from church history we believe that, that John, who is the one that Jesus, on his, at his death, basically gave his mother Mary to John for him to care for, that, that most likely Mary would have been with him there in, in Ephesus. And so you see all of these connections. But the reason I bring that up is because this letter of 1 John is later in John's life. And we we see through the way that God, who's the one who is the primary author, but is working through the person of John the Apostle, the way that we might have a, a, a loving grandfather or grandmother who talks to us. Right? Have, you, have you noticed, or some of you are in that stage yourself, uh, that you find yourself repeating things, saying, saying the same things over and over, and you might have grandkids who are saying... Granddad, you said that already. Yeah, anybody? Well, no, I won't. I won't put you on the spot. Right? You said that already. Why? Why do loving grandparents say certain things over and over again? Because wisdom has taught them some things are very important that they need to to be said over and over again. But I also can't help but but thinking about this after spending some time this summer, particularly in the Psalms, is is the way that the Psalms repeat things. Right? We talk about Hebrew parallelism. The, the way, the poetry that the Psalms are, are given to us is that it often will say, there's this thing and then that other. Right? We, we heard that earlier uh, in, in the call. Right? Let Israel say, the, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. And, and then he uses a different term for Israel of Judah. Let Judah say, the loving kindness of the Lord endures forever. And, and then let the people who fear the Lord say. You see, that, that way of repeating is, is a way of emphasis. And so John, the, the beloved disciple of Jesus, the one who was, in terms of earthly relationship, closest with, with Jesus, has been ruminating and having his quiet times and singing the Psalms and the grace of God has been at work in his life over decades as he awaits his Savior's return. And, and there are these certain things that keep repeating, that he keeps noticing in the Scripture, that God has said again and again and again. Things like, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Things like, I will give them the right to be the children of God, those who believe in me. 
And so we have in, this, in these five verses those things being repeated, but also notice the linkage. As, as we're going to see, first of all, here we find that those who are born again are born again by faith in Christ. Look at that first verse. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. First, he says everyone. He does not say most. He does not say some. Now, it's important. There are times in the scripture where, where he will say everyone or all in a particular context. And we see that here. He does not say everyone is born of God. No, the everyone is qualified. How is it qualified? Everyone who? Everyone who what? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. So here he's talking about something that is universal, not to all of humanity, but to all those who are in this category of those who believe that Jesus is the Christ. Those who believe. What is, what is belief? Is it, oh yeah, I believe that Jesus existed. Well, so what? The, the demons and the, and the devil believe that Jesus existed. They, they know that he exists. What does it mean here, those who believe that Jesus is the Christ? Here it's not just a cognitive, oh yes, I know that to be true. But this belief is I am trusting in this reality. I am all in, in trusting Jesus is the Christ. What, what does it mean that Jesus is the Christ? Oftentimes we think of, of Christ simply as Jesus' last name. It's not. He's, he's the Christ. It's a title. Christos, that is the equivalent of Messiah. The Messiah was the Redeemer that God had promised would come and bless his people. He was the one who was anointed to operate as the prophet, to come as the king, to come as the priest. All of these offices for which God had anointed his people to serve in these particular things come together in Jesus, who is not just a prophet or just a king or just a priest. He is all three of those together. He is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He's the promised one that God's people have been waiting for to deliver them out of sin and death. So to believe in Jesus as the Christ is a way of expressing this is my only hope. If Jesus does not save me, I have no hope. But I am trusting in him to do what he has promised that he would do as Messiah to deliver me out of my sin and to rescue me from death. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. This is the, the parameter that God sets up for the everyone. Everyone who does this. Everyone trusting in Jesus as Messiah is what? Born of God. 
Notice it doesn't say that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ will be born again. What does it say? Has been. Right? This is past tense. And, and if you don't think the, the tense of a verb is important except in English class, right? At, just ask your wife. Right? Have you taken the trash out? Oh, I will. No, oh yes, honey, I have already taken the trash out. Right? The tense of a word can be very important. And here, in him saying categorically, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. You see, regeneration, being born of God, precedes faith. What he's saying here is is that those who have been born of God believe that Jesus is the Christ. It's not maybe, sort of, we hope, that, that in God's working in his people, that he gives through the Holy Spirit regeneration. He quickens us. He brings us to life. And often we, we get the gospel wrong right out of the gate at this part. We think of ourselves as those who, on a day at the beach, are playing in the water and get overwhelmed or whatever and, you know, swallow some, some water and are sputtering and, and someone needs to, to throw us a, a, a life preserver, right, or a ring or a buoy or, or something. And then we grab hold, like, oh, oh thank you, and, and I'm putting my faith in this life preserver and, and it buoys me up. But that's not the picture that we find of the gospel at all. It's a great picture for good news at the beach in terms of if you're, if you're struggling. But it is not the good news of the gospel. The good news of what Jesus Christ has done is, is that he has come and found us dead in our sins and transgressions. Incapable of even saying, hey, I need help. And that what God does is is that he sends his spirit who enlivens us, who awakens us out of our spiritual death in which we could care less about who God is or what his commandments are or anything about what Jesus has done. If you have an interest in those things, it is only because of the grace of God to make you interested in those things. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. This awakening, this being born of the Spirit, is a regeneration that God gives to us as a gift that then activates faith. That as we come alive in the Spirit of God and are made aware of what Jesus has done for us, that now we have an ability to praise God, to thank Him, to trust Him and believe in Him that we did not have before. How can we say this? Well, there are two sides of this. We find first the exclusive aspect of this and then second, the comprehensive nature of this. It's exclusive in that only the regenerate can believe. Now again, we've already said... The demons and the devil believe in Jesus. 
But not, that's not the same as saving faith. To, to believe in Jesus, as we were looking at, is to trust in him, is to bank on him, is to count him as our security. So, for instance, the, the, the uh, life buoy, right, of, of exercising faith, of grabbing onto that once you've been brought to life, rather than say, no, I don't, I don't want your life buoy. I don't, I, no, no thanks. It is only those who are brought to life in God who can believe, who can exercise this kind of saving belief. And that all who are thus regenerated will exercise saving faith. We find in, in John's gospel, he puts it this way in, in 1 verse 13, that we are born of the will of God, not by flesh. Or in Romans 8, we find the teaching about God making us co-heirs together with Christ. That is, that we are born into this family, the family of God. And that it is only through that being born into this family, being made co-heirs together with Christ, through the regeneration of the Spirit in verse 15, that we then are recipients of all that God is giving us through our calling and our justification and our ultimate glorification. All of these things come to us by the means of God, by what he is doing. And so only those who are made alive in God will trust Christ for what he's done, and everyone who is thus born of God will so trust him. And again, that's not just this passage. We always want to be careful when we come to something and say, okay, this is what this passage seems to be saying. Am I understanding that correctly? The passage is right, but is my understanding of it correct? And that's where it's helpful to look at other passages and say, is this, does this conform with what the rest of the Scripture teaches? And that is indeed what we find. For instance, in Romans chapter 3, it says there, we all fall short of the glory of God. It is only by faith in Jesus that we're able to believe. Or Titus chapter 3 says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, the Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is what we find again and again in the scripture. Just like the apostle Paul, uh, John talking about these things that he's heard his savior say time and again, that he's read for himself in the scriptures. Might be the passage in Ezekiel that he would have had. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You see, we're born of God for a purpose. And he tells us what that purpose is right here. You see, we're born again to love God and one another. He he brings us to life, grants us faith that we can then exercise to believe in Christ. So we're born again by that faith, 
and we are born again so that we might love God and one another. He has enlivened us to do what dead people cannot do, to love. Now, again, here there's lots of confusion because sometimes our neighbors very much seem to be better at loving than we are. Have you ever had that shameful reality that, that you see neighbors who you know don't, don't care the first thing about God? And, and they're like outstripping us in, in their patience, in their kindness, in, in all those things. The thing that we need to not lose sight of is, is that the, the reality that they're able to do such things is only because of God's grace in them. God tells us that he restrains evil, that he blesses folks not just because they're believers in Christ, but that he sends rain on the just and the unjust. Now, sometimes, like right now, we're saying, okay, Lord, stop sending the rain. We got enough of the rain. But he sends his son on the just and the unjust as well. And that the evidence of people who don't love God doing a good job of loving others is, is not a hit against what this is saying, but rather goes to prove what he says, that he is kind to all kinds of people. But the scripture goes on to tell us that true love is more than just the pace, patience, the kindness, the, the tenderness, all of those good things. It's not less than that, but that it's more. We see this most perfectly worked out in marriage. And there again, you can look at a lot of pagan couples that, that have got better marriages than a lot of Christians do. But when you understand the love that God has designed to be at work in marriage, is, is that marital love is ultimately a picture of Jesus' love for his church. And that the whole purpose of marriage is that these two people are supposed to be loving one another, not only through their faithfulness, not only through their kindness and tenderness, but that that love is a means or a tool that God has appointed for us to help one another be more like Christ. And that's, that's not even on the map for those apart from Christ. So again, I'm not taking anything away from kindness and mercy and patience and kindness in, in loving relationships. That's all good. What I'm saying is, is there's a whole other dimension to the love that God has designed for us that is not even operative apart from our looking to God in faith. To trusting that God is the one who has given us this person to love and that by loving them we're seeking to honor God. We're born again for this purpose. Look again at what it says in the opening. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And then he says, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. And again, this goes right in lockstep with what Jesus has said again and again. If you love me, you'll what? Obey my commandments. What is the primary commandment that he gives? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and your neighbor as yourself. These 
This is the natural outflow. This is the purpose for which he has brought us to life. We are to love God and we are to love one another in Christ. He goes on to explain that. By this, we know that we love the children of God. Okay, have you ever had this? Okay, so how do I know if this is loving or not? Well, he says right here, when we love God and obey his commandments. I'm still not quite sure, John. What, what are you trying to say? For this is the love of God. Okay, you want me to spell it out? This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. You say, why all this talk about commandments? That, that's, that's the Old Testament. That's the law. We're done with that. No. Jesus has come and fulfilled every commandment so that we now can do what we couldn't do before in our spiritual death so that we can now love God as he commands. You see, loving God or loving our neighbor is not this kind of arbitrary thing. Some of you are familiar with the, the uh, Gary Smalley book on the, the um, uh, love languages, right? That, that we, we all have particular pre- preferences in terms of how we love, right? And, and this, this provides all kinds of fodder for, for marital counseling and all those kinds of things, but I don't want to get sidetracked in that. The point is, is that we often will love others the way that we want to be loved, right? And, and so if, if your spiritual love language is, say, uh, physical affection, right, then, then I, with that love language, will try to communicate that to other people. I give them a big hug, right? I care about you. I love you. And so here's here's a big hug. The problem is is if the the recipient of that hug, their love language is works of service. They're like, "Would you get off of me and help with the dishes?" Right? But here's the thing. This goes deeper than just those sorts of things is we don't have the first idea how to love. We don't know how to love God. We don't know how to love other people, as that little illustration shows us, right? We love based not on what they need, but what we think. And they say, stop it. Where God's commandments are not some arbitrary thing of, I'm going to keep you in line. You must do this and this and this. No, actually, what he's doing is he's revealing his character. He's revealing what he's like because he is love. And the way for us to love is by doing things as God would have us do them. It's actually a light unto our path. It illumines what we need to know and what we need to do. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's called us to be born again so that we might love, not in our self-centered, narcissistic way, but actually as other people need to be loved. How do we know what that is? There are the commandments. You love them by being truthful. You love them by putting them as more important than yourself. You, You demonstrate your love to them through doing what God has commanded. This is the reason for which we have been born again. 
We're to love God. We're to love one another. And then notice how in this, it, it explains that in a, in a different way than what we might expect. He's talking about our love for God and our love for one another. And then he goes on in verses 4 and 5 to say, For everyone who has been born of God, right, regenerated, what we were just talking about, everyone, there's that everyone again, who has been, again, qualified, that everyone, everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. What? What is that all about? And why is that here? This is not John having a, a random senior moment, right? Oh, love God, love one another. Oh, what? Overcome the world. It, it, they're connected. They're related. He's, he's using, again, that way of bringing these two things to show us how they're related. Everyone who has been born of God, who is loving God and loving one another, overcomes the world. Now, notice there, it's a different tense. Before, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, what? Has been born of God. Already happened. You're born first, and then you believe. Here, he says, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. It's active. It's present. This is something that is to, to characterize us who have been born of God. And what does it mean to overcome the world? John says, glad you asked. And this is the victory, the overcoming, that has overcome the world. Our faith. Right? Again, he's not talking about spiritualism or some kind of other faith. He's just talked about faith, about believing in Jesus as the Christ. He's defined his terms and is now saying, this is how we overcome. It's through our faith in Jesus as the Christ. And then he asked this rhetorical question, again, to drive the point home. This, this is what we're to do to overcome the world by our faith. What is it that you ask, or who is it that does it? Who is it that overcomes the world except what? The one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Again, that, that parallelism. Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. The second person of the, of the Trinity. God the Son. They're the same person. Do you want to know how to overcome the world? The world's way of affirming your self-love? Oh, whatever, whatever makes you happy. Whatever it is that, that actualizes you. Whatever, whatever gives you meaning and purpose. Well, don't go looking for your meaning and purpose in something else. God's already given you the purpose. The very reason that he's brought you to life is so that you might love God and love one another. This is overcoming the world. The world that says, me, I've got to look out for me. Me, myself, and I, that's the important part. And God says, no. Because that will lead to destruction. That leads to death. And I've come that you might have life and might have life abundantly. Just briefly, the third point ties all of these things together. Jesus kept the law for those born again to joyfully obey. You see, we don't any longer obey the law, the commandments of God, to win his favor. In fact, that was never God's people's directive. 
our Hebrew brothers and sisters were not keeping the law, or not supposed to, in order to get saved. They were supposed to trust in Messiah and therefore keep the law joyfully. And it's the same for us. We're to joyfully obey his commands, knowing that this is the way that we love God and one another. Think about it in this way. In the, in the relationships that you have, and where you've had conflict, where you've had uh, hurt, where you've had a break in that relationship and need to reconciliation, in all of those things, the cause for those you can always trace back to sin. Sin on your part, sin on the other part, sin on both your parts. That the way to love one another is to obey God. If, if we're trusting in Christ as our Messiah and seeking to joyfully obey those things, that will have a great benefit in our relationship in enabling us to love one another as God would have us love one another. How, how are we to do this when the gospel tells us again and again that it's impossible? Jesus came because we could not love one another this way. But you see, that's, that's the other part of the good news, is not just that Jesus has forgiven us for our failure, but Jesus has given us his spirit so that we might walk in him, that we might do these things by faith in Christ until he comes again, that while we're awaiting Jesus' return, we're to be keeping his commandments joyfully by faith in him. Rebirth is what makes this possible. But we keep approaching this as if trying harder is what makes this possible rather than a supernatural rebirth. And that's where we need to, to have a serious talk. Have you been born again? Not just prayed a prayer, not, not just walked an aisle, not just turned a new leaf and said, okay, this time I'm really going to mean it. What we're talking about here and what we see in the scripture is, is that this rebirth is of God. Say, wait a minute, Pastor, you lost me. It sounded an awful lot like you were about to call me to do something, like trusting Christ, and now you've switched gears on me and said that this is something that only God can do. No, you didn't get confused or lost. You're, you're right on track. Because that's what the scripture says. You see, so often we approach this new birth in Christ as if it's something that we can do. I, I accept Jesus into my heart. You what? Well, I, you know, I, I want to be a Christian. You can't do it. But, but... I pray. I, I repent. I, I, I. We cannot do it. Go back to Nicodemus. Jesus, you're the teacher. You're doing all of these things. I know that you're from God. Good job, Nicodemus. For you to be in the kingdom of God that I'm the king of, you need to be born again. 
How can I, how can I do that? You can't. Well, well, then what do I do? God works through his supernatural word to bring these things to our minds and our hearts and our will so that we might actually understand our relationship before a infinite holy God. And it's not about walking in an aisle. It's not about praying a prayer. It's not about joining the church. It's not about anything that you can do. But once you actually understand that this is something that only God can do, if the Holy Spirit is at work within you, then you might find yourself on your face. You might find yourself on your knees. You might find yourself crying out, Lord, you're telling me you're the only one who can birth me again. That I cannot do this. Lord, I am undone. I am helpless. I am unable to do what your scripture is calling me to do. So what do I do? Fall on your face. Cry out to God. Lord, will you do what only you can do? Because I am unable. I am unworthy. Birth me anew that I might love you, that I might joyfully obey your commandments, that I might serve you all the days of my life because you are God and there is no other. May God bring us on our faces. Lord God, You are the giver of life. Forgive us for thinking that we can contribute to it. Forgive us. We ask that you would do what only you can. Give us life. Give us faith. Free us from our narcissism and self-centered way of living. We pray in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen.